So it is Father's Day. Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I was looking back at some Father's Day messages that I've preached in the past, and as it is when I look back on an old outline, sometimes I wonder for sure why some of the points were there. It's hard to remember always. But I was looking at those, and it's like, well, a lot of good practical things on a number of those messages. Uh, this one's a little bit different maybe than what some of those have been. And I still agree with what the points were that I had. But as you get older, you begin to maybe understand them even more than what you do when you're younger. And so as we mature in our uh, lives, in our especially as fathers, as we go from maybe being a young father, a middle-aged father, older father, grandfather, you begin to see things maybe more clearly, or you see things that you are thankful you did, or sometimes things you wish you would have done differently. This is kind of how it is as you, in anything that we do. But I just want to encourage you this morning, especially you fathers that are in, uh, shall I say, the heat of the work. Uh, you've got families, young families, maybe a little older families, encourage you that you are doing a very, very important and noble work. The home does not replace the church, but if uh, our homes do not have, uh, in other words, if homes are not filled with people who are wanting to serve the Lord and teaching their families well, the church suffers greatly from that, I believe. And so you have a very important responsibility. Well, the first father, we're going to look at some different fathers this morning, and then I want to look at some, just a few practical points that we'll not spend a lot of time on, and then some admonition, if you will, to our younger people, and maybe even a little bit older, regarding our fathers and our responses to them. So in Luke chapter 1, we see a father here that we don't often hear a lot about. And we're going to start reading in verse 5. And the thing I jotted down here about him, and we'll look at some points then, is a serving father who lacked faith. And you say, lacked faith, but he did, and we'll see that. So starting in verse 5 in Luke chapter 1, it says, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abijah, And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. 
And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, and not able to speak, until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season." The people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he tarried so long in a temple. And when he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, where he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus the, uh, hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. Let's jump over to uh, verse 57, and we'll come back and, and look at a few things on these verses. And starting at verse 57, it says, Now Elizabeth's time, uh, full time, came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise a child, and they called him Zechariah after the name of his father and his mother answered and said not so he shall be called John they said unto her there is none of thy kindred that is called by this name they made signs to his father how he would have him called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying his name is John and they marveled all and his mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed and he spake and praised God and fear came on all that dwelt round about them, and all these, things, all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. <coughs> Excuse me. And they all heard them, and all that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And I think I'm going to go ahead and read then the prophecy. That Zechariah gave. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. Thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation unto the people by remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. Now, I don't know uh, 
what you fathers would do if all of a sudden you saw a vision and God said, boy, your child is going to do this or that, or uh, you had some sort of a special vision from the Lord. Well, we don't have that. I don't think I ever had a vision like this for, uh, if I did, I've certainly forgotten it, and I don't think you'd forget something like this, that God is saying, this is what your child's going to do, or this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to name them. Uh, we, I never had a vision of what to name a child. That's something uh, my wife and I discussed and, and uh, sometimes made a final decision on the way to the hospital and that kind of thing. I don't know what your experiences are on that, but, you know, you, you, you didn't have something like this. Well, John did. And I'd like to look at some points about this man and encourage each of you as fathers to be involved in some of these same things. So the first thing I'd like to notice is in verse 6, when it talks about the father and the mother, it says, And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the, of the Lord, blameless. Now, I recognize that there's no one here that can say, Well, i blameless. I, I never do anything wrong. But the fact is, they were living right, and they were doing God's commandments to the best of their ability, and that's how they were living their lives before they even had any children. It wasn't like, oh, now God's given us a child, so now we better shape up and live right. And so I would encourage you, no matter where you're at in your, in your walk in life, whether you're even married yet or not, uh, whether you have children or not, and especially if you do have children, walk right, live right, do God's commandments. I don't think they could have been used for this task if they wouldn't have been, they would have been, God would have used someone else. He will use someone to fulfill his, his uh, plans, but that can be you. You can be involved in that. Now, in verse 7, I think we can see that they were disappointed parents. They were older, and they had no child. And it would seem as though not only were they disappointed parents, they were praying parents because the angel said to him, I've heard your prayer, and Elizabeth's going to have a child. And so you may be disappointed at times in life as a parent, but be a praying parent as a father, being a praying a father. And we'll look at someone else a little later. And so they were both living right, they were disappointed that they didn't have any children yet and then they were praying I believe and then in verses 8 and 9 it says and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God um, in this certain order and he went to do this burning incense and so forth as he was supposed to do it says that then is when God came and, and talked to him through this vision so he was involved in the work of the Lord. He was serving God. So that's the next thing I'd like for us to notice about Zechariah. <clears throat> Excuse me. He could have said, well, you know what? Um, I, God hasn't given us a child. I've been disappointed. We're old. You know what? I'm just going to forget it. I'm going to stay home and forget about getting involved in the work of the Lord. He, what, what's he done for me lately? But he didn't. He was involved in the work of the Lord, what he was asked to do faithfully. 
And so as fathers, be involved in what God has called you to do, whatever it might be. It might be something in the church. It might be something in a mission. It might be something with your job or you're helping others. It might be who knows what it might be that God has asked you to do. Do it for his honor and for his glory. Zechariah didn't go here to do this because he was expecting something like this to happen. If you'd ask him on his way to do this, say, uh, by the way, expecting anything special when you get to the temple? You think when you're in there burning incense, you're going to have a vision and God's going to give you a child? He'd have said, no, I don't think so. I'm going to do what God has asked me to do. And so I encourage you as fathers, be involved in serving God. Now, he was also a doubting father. After he had this vision, he says, how can this thing be? And God knew what his thinking was because just what he asked there, you would say, well, it's not that big of a doubt, but God knew he was doubting. He said, because you have doubted what I have told you, this is what's going to happen. Now, we all sometimes have our doubts and we sometimes lose faith in things and don't allow that to then stop you from going on. When God pointed out what happened, and God pointed out what his, we might say, punishment was going to be, he kept right on serving the Lord. We don't see that he backed away. God said, no, this is what's going to happen. It's going to take place. And sometimes, fathers, you're going to lose faith sometimes in, I've been praying for this, or I've been asking for this, or I've been doing this, and I just don't see what I'm looking for, I don't see the results. Keep going, keep going. It does, there's no guarantees that maybe what you're praying for is going to happen exactly like you want it to. But I have seen God work miracles through prayer, prayer and fasting and so forth. So keep going, even when you might be doubting. Continue to be obedient. And that's what we see then with Zechariah. When you get to verse uh, 63 over here, it says, they were going to name him this child. They were going to name him after dad. Oh, wow. Well, the temptation would have been, to, okay, yeah, I'd kind of like to have someone named after me, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Well, he didn't have much choice at this point. He couldn't talk anyway. And so I'm just going to not say anything. Just No. No. He had already told his wife, now, this is what the name's going to be. And he must have written it out before, got a tablet somehow and written this all out. So she knew about the vision. She knew what was going on. And so when they said what they were going to name him, said, no, you can't do that. And they said, okay, um, Zachariah, what do you want? So he gets a tablet and he writes it out. He was an obedient father to what God had asked him to do. So he doubted, but he, be, he was obedient. In that, then he was able to, and you saw, you see that in verse 64 where it says, and he praised God. I don't think he was praising God just for the fact that he could talk again, but he was praising God that God was with him and God had given him this son, and now he was able to speak again, and he was praising God, and because of that, God allowed him to give a prophecy about his son. Now, I'm not suggesting any of you try to prophesy about your sons, that's not necessary. But you can bless them, you can encourage them, you can give them a blessing. But 
when all this happened is fulfilled, you see Zechariah as a father who was praising the Lord. And I would just encourage you as fathers, your children need to see you praising the Lord. If they never see you praising the Lord for something, why would they? Why would they? They want to see you praising and blessing the Lord. And sometimes those might be times when you praise the Lord for things that aren't so great, but you give God praise for things. Well, let's move to another father that's uh, basically around this same time, but let's jump back to Matthew. And we could learn a lot of things from this father, but I want to just pull out one thing in particular, really, or a couple things. Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, when we read this in verse 18, we see that Mary was with child of the Holy Ghost. Keep in mind, when... Joseph was thinking this thing through. He did not know that yet. And so the thing about this father is I would like to think about the fact that he was a just and merciful father. And as fathers, if we are not merciful fathers, if we never show mercy to our children, and in this case to his wife, we will not have well, we will probably have angry children if they never receive mercy. They need to receive mercy. We have received mercy. So here is Joseph. He's planning to get married. He's excited about this. All of a sudden he finds out that his, uh, we would say his fiance, she's pregnant. She's with a child. And I don't know what all went through his mind. I can imagine he was extremely disappointed, probably very deeply hurt, frustrated, maybe even a little angry. I don't know what all went through his mind. The Bible doesn't really tell us. But it does say that while he thought about those things, he decided, you know what? I'm not going to make a public example of her. I'm not going to do anything to hurt her. He could have. He could have said, well, I've been hurt. And I'm going to see if we can't get her stone for this or something. I'm going to find a person. I'm going to find whoever's involved in this. And I'm going to blah, blah, blah. 
He says, no, I'm not going to do that. When he made that decision to do that is when he had the vision. I believe God came to him at that point and said, okay, you are a just and right man, and I can trust you, and I can, and, and God knew that before. But I think God wanted him to show that he was a merciful father and a husband, and then he showed him what was going to happen, and he became obedient. If you look at, if you look at Joseph's life, the number of times that God told him, you need to go here, you need to take your family there, you need to do this, and Joseph always obeyed, and he did, and he did, and he did it. And I don't know, we don't know for sure, but at some point I believe Jesus lost his earthly father and was probably, uh, probably very hard for him as in his humanness uh, to, to go through that. The Bible talks about that Jesus experienced the things that we experience, and I wonder if that maybe was one of them. But he had lost his father here, and we don't know exactly how or why, but um, God had given him an amazing earthly father, I believe, a merciful one. Turn with me to the book of Job. And we're going to talk about a praying father a little bit more here. Verses 1 through 5. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. I should wait a little bit. I hear the pages still rustling. Job's right in there before Psalms. Okay. Job chapter 1. I'll be there at verse 2. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one on his day, and sent and called for their three sisters and to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned, cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you fathers rise up every morning early and pray for your children. Uh, a lot of times as fathers, we get up in the morning and, yeah, you might have your devotions, you might have a prayer, whatever, but a lot of times as fathers, get up in the morning and we've got things to do. We've got things on our mind, got places to go, got a business to take care of, we've got um, maybe a job to go to, and we rush about doing our things. And Job, it appears as though, had <coughs> excuse me, a lot of things there to take care of. It wasn't as though he didn't have much to deal with. I'm sure he had a lot of service to take care of a lot of the things he was doing, but, you know, he, he had a lot of substance to take care of. But his family was getting together, and they were feasting, and Job was concerned about them. And it says that he rose up. He did this continually. He got up early in the morning, 
offered sacrifices for them, prayed for them, just in case one of them had sinned, and he wanted to offer sacrifices for them. Now, we know that we can't get up early in the morning and offer some kind of a sacrifice in case one of our growing children have sinned, and somehow that's going to take care of it. But we can be in prayer for our children, no matter what age they are. And I believe that when those children were all taken from him, I doubt very much that Job said, you know what? That was a waste of time. I should have never bothered getting up. Whatever. I No, I have a feeling as Job looked back on his life, he was always like, you know what? I'm so thankful I got up, offered sacrifices, and prayed for my children. And I don't know exactly how that all worked out. Today we would say it's, it's different than what it was then as far as offering sacrifices for someone else. But there was something there that God honored, I believe. And in that, um, I'm sure he was always thankful. Now, there's another father I'd like to look at, and this kind of goes into uh, the perfect father, but as we think about it, I think we can emulate something here. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, you have what we call the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. I believe this is also a picture of the Gentiles and uh, Jews in this picture. You can see this, this, that story. But you, uh, most of you would know the story, I'm sure. This young man asks for his inheritance. He goes out, he squanders it. Ends up in the pig pens, decides he might as well go home and be a servant to his father. And when he gets there, he says in verse 21, says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Be a forgiving father. Be a forgiving father. Sometimes your children may, um, growing up young, maybe older, whatever, they might do things that, are that where they wrong you, whether it's hurtful, whatever it might be, be a forgiving father. This son comes back and he says, I've sinned, and you don't see a lot of conversation here. As fathers, the tendency would be to say, well, you know what? I told you this was going to happen. You should have known better. Where's my inheritance? It doesn't appear you've got any of it with you, or you wouldn't be back probably. So you ran out of money, huh? Where are all your friends now? I mean, he could have said all kinds of things. And his son said what he said. And he said, and of course he had already hugged him, I believe, kissed him. And his son said what he did, and he said, he, he just says, let's, let's have a party, basically. Let's, let's have a feast. Let's, a forgiving father. 
Sometimes it's good to remind our children of, you know what? Okay, so the next time, remember, I told you, this is why this happened. But usually, especially as your children get older, they already know what they've done wrong. And if they come and apologize, probably what they need is forgiveness, not a long list of, well, I told you so's. I told you so. I told you so. They probably remember you told them so, or they wouldn't be there apologizing. We have in the scripture the perfect father. And if I were to ask you how many of you have had a perfect father, you would probably say, well, I know my children couldn't say they have a perfect father. I don't think any of your children can say that. But we have a perfect father in heaven. If you look at his life, and we're not going to go through all of those this morning, but if you look at his life when Jesus was here on earth, and you look at the relationship there, they had an amazing relationship. They talked together. They spent time together. The son prayed to his father. The father affirmed his son publicly more than once. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Now part of that was for the benefit of those people that stood around there, of course. Jesus knew who he was and he didn't necessarily need that. But it's interesting that God, the father, the perfect father, affirmed his son in that way. Have you ever, as fathers, I'm not talking now about being, you know, bragging about your children and making them up to be something they're not. But have you ever, even in public, said, you know, I I really appreciate uh, what my son did this week, or really appreciate him, or does your son usually hear in public, oh, I couldn't get him out of bed this week for anything, or he wouldn't do this, or boy, he messed this up, or boy, you wouldn't, you ought to see the dent in the car I got this week. What are your children, do your children hear affirmation or do they hear all the things that went wrong, especially when in public around other people and even, in, even privately? Well, even though, and I would say because God the Father is the perfect Father, he also didn't give his son every petition that he asked for. You ever think about that? Jesus said, if this cup could pass from me, if it could, if not, I'm willing to do it. And the father didn't, didn't take it away from him. Sometimes as fathers, you have to maybe allow your child to go through something or Make them go through something or make them do something that they would like to not do. And you do it anyway. Just some practical encouragements here for fathers. And we're going to go through these fairly quickly. You need to teach your children. And there's ways to do that. But teach them to work. Teach them to worship. Teach them to love others. Now, by the way, most of these things you teach them by example. Teach them to obey. Teach them to respect others. Teach them when they're young. And I would say this, if they are old enough to defy you, they are old enough to be disciplined by you. 
Now, obviously, disciplinary measures change with age. Uh, you don't take the car keys away from a one-year-old. It makes no sense. And you don't spank a 20-year-old. That makes no sense, okay? But sometimes there are age-appropriate disciplines. But when they're old enough to defy you, they're old enough to be disciplined. And don't give up. Don't give up. Some children can take you a long, long ways and take a long, long time in a particular incident or two or three or four. Don't give up. Children, sometimes I like to say children, I've seen children that can play their parents like a fiddle. You know, uh, just they know. They know after so long the parent's going to give in anyway. And I don't have to tell you how disturbing it can be to be in a store or a restaurant and see a child that knows they're going to get their way eventually if they scream loud enough or long enough. Usually I want to spank the parent, not the child in those cases. Uh, But since I'm not big enough to do that, I just stay out of it. Don't give up. The Bible does teach us to use the rod. Um, Punishments need to help a child actually lose their guilt. And uh, sometimes a spanking or whatever punishment it is should help a child actually feel like they've paid for their wrongdoing. And then you love them and you uh, discipline always needs to be done in love. Explain why they have been disciplined. They need to know. And look them in the eyes when you explain it to them. And expect them to look you in the eyes as well. If they don't, that's a thing to work on. They need to look you in the eyes. You look them in the eyes and you talk to them just like you would someone that can understand. And you explain why they're being disciplined in whatever method you're using at the time. In church, I encourage fathers, not, it doesn't always have to be this way, but I would encourage fathers to take leadership and discipline in church. It's important. And um, I would also encourage you as fathers, when you discipline in church and you bring the child back in, the child does this, you know, dive for mama because... Don't let them do that. It doesn't work out well. Um, I would say this too. Stick with your children through the tough times, especially as they get into the teen years and and beyond. There's a lot of of challenging things. Don't just assume once they get to be a teenager, well, I've done my job now. Stick with them all the way. And that does not mean sticking up for them when they're wrong, but stick with them. Be real and admit when you're wrong. Um, Charles Swindoll wrote this, Authentic men aren't afraid to show affection, release their feelings, hug their children, cry when they're sad, admit when they're wrong, and ask for help when they need it. And C.D. Williams says, You don't need to be right all the time. Your child wants a man for a father, not a formula. He wants real parents, real people, capable of making mistakes without moping about it. 
and then be willing to tell your children you're sorry if you make mistakes and tell them you love them and tell them that often. Turn with me to the book of Proverbs. And I don't know exactly when these verses, at what age you can say, well, this doesn't apply to me anymore. I'm not sure there is an age. But for you younger people, if you've been thinking about other things and if you've been tempted here to think about, well, my dad isn't doing this quite right or that quite right, and I hope he's listening closely this morning or whatever, or you children, I want you to pay close attention to these verses because they're in the scripture for a reason and they haven't changed. Proverbs 1.8 is the first one we'll look at. says, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. If you want some wonderful jewelry, ornament of grace around your head and chains about your neck. If you you want some beautiful jewelry, listen to the instructions of your parents. I know it's a little hard to understand, but your parents have seen a few things, been a few places, observed a few people that you haven't. And that doesn't just stop when we get married either. Those things go on. Chapter 4, verse 1. Very similar. Hear, ye children the instruction of a father, and intend to know understanding. Let's go over to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, A wise son maketh a glad father, But a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. And if you jump over to chapter 17, verse 25, and by the way, there are other verses throughout Proverbs that say the same things. I just picked out a few of them. 17, 25 says, A foolish son is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her that bear him. And if you want to see parents that are heavy and grieving, find parents whose children have decided to walk away from God or completely abandon the teachings of their parents. And you'll see these Proverbs. Very true. Chapter 20, verse 20. Whoso curses, curseth his father or his mother... His lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. And that word curseth there doesn't necessarily mean that you are cursing them and saying terrible things about them. But it can also mean to just kind of make light of them. To, to just, ah, don't, don't need that. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting word. We think of cursing in a different way. But there are children who curse parents as well. 
in chapter 23, verses 22 to 25, it says, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Buy the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. In chapter 30, verse 11, it says, There is a generation that curseth their father and doeth not bless their mother. There's a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. I don't know if we're that generation yet or not, but it seems as though for the last maybe 30 or 40 years in Western society, we're kind of in this mode where each generation thinks they just know so much more than the generation previous them. And it's kind of interesting because you go to a lot of cultures even yet today, and older people are honored, very much so. You go to the older ones, and when I'm saying older, I'm saying older than me, if you can imagine that. Uh, you go to the oldest ones, and you ask for wisdom and direction. Because they're the ones that are still honored in some cultures and some societies. In our society, where do you go for answers? You go to the youngest ones. Why do you think there are so many companies in this country that are making what we would look at and say, those are just stupid decisions, just dumb? Um, especially with regard to transgenderism and all this stuff and what you can say and what you can't say and what will get you silenced and what won't get you silenced. And also we look at it and we say, what? what's, what's with some of these businesses and companies that are allowed? What, what are they doing? They're listening to the young generation in their businesses and in their ranks and allowing them to tell them what to do. They're not listening to the older ones. If they would, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. There might be a few older people that would applaud it, but not for the most part. There's a generation that says, ah, the older people don't matter. They don't know anything. I just want to encourage you as young people, ask the older ones for wisdom. Ask them before you make some decisions, especially life-altering decisions. And then listen. Don't just ask. Don't just go to the ones that are going to give you the advice that you want to hear. That happens so often. And as fathers, as we're raising our children and uh, encouraging them and blessing them, let's do some of those things we've talked about this morning we see from fathers in the scripture. Pray for them. Live it out. Teach them. Train them. And bless them and encourage them on their way.